Again, uh, Happy New Year to you folks. Uh, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you'd like to look that over um, and follow along there. It is purposefully left blank. I am not a prophet. I, I don't predict. Uh, I don't think you should be either. <laughs> Other than hang on to your hats. It's another year, right? And, um, you know, you think about one year ago and what, what was going on, and you didn't know all the things that would happen in 2009. And here we are. Uh, you think back 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Uh, what were we dealing with 10 years ago? Y2K. You know, whoa, you know, what's going to happen, right? I think Will Mayberry was up here at that time. <laughs> yeah, Will was sharing a message that we had talked about and kind of the preparations of what if and, well, the what if didn't happen. Time keeps marching on. And it's not so much that you and I can predict, uh, here's what's going to happen this year. Although there's, I'm sure, a lot of people out there that would like to tell you about what will happen in your life for a little uh, cash response on your part. <laughs> but uh, we don't go down that road. Um, what I'd like to do here this morning is uh, point out three distinctives, okay? Three distinctives of a Christian's life. And a lot of this is is for the purpose of uh, challenging you and I about this new year. And it's really going on observations, um, you know, of what we've gone through this past year, what we've dealt with and all. Uh, I'm not going to cover every event, but uh, this is kind of a, a culmination, if you will, of just thinking through a new year now, and, and in light of last year, 2009. How would you rate 2009? If you were to, to just say on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being excellent, 1 being really in the pits, you know, where would it be for you? And uh, how, how would things be, you know, marked in that way? How would you grade it? And some would probably have a, a really high grade and others might have a really low grade on it. And we could throw those kind of things around all the time, but it comes back to what's the distinctive for a Christian life? What are the distinctives? The issue is we don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's clear from where? James chapter 5. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But you know what we do know? Your life is a vapor. And I'm sure if you had magnification I, uh, on my mouth, you could see some vapors coming from my mouth. They're there and gone. <clears throat> you know, so with that in mind, with James chapter 5, uh, I'm sorry, James chapter 4, with that in mind, what is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes so let me ask you this. What does your vapor look like? 
What does your vapor look like? And that's really what we want to talk about here. This passage in James, which we're not going to be there um, studying it. All we're going to do is really look at different verses today. Um, But this particular passage provides a bit of a springboard for us to launch into the new year more effectively. So again, what... It, what does your vapor look like and what will it look like this year? And so I, I simply offer up some observations for the purpose of our progress in the faith, for our growth in the faith, for your walk in Christ, for your strength and endurance, because that's really what it comes down to. Whether we're in the middle of a year, uh, a brand new day, a, a new week, a new month, whatever it is, it comes back down to strength and endurance in your day, in your time, right? So I share these three distinctives. And really, the more that we lock into these kind of distinctives and focus on their activity in our lives, the better off we'll be. I'm sure of that. So, distinctive number one. The Christian has... An unsinkable perspective. The Christian has an unsinkable perspective. This is something that I've uh, thought over this, obviously, this past year. Talked about it with some folks. First, listen, first and foremost, of all people, the Christian ought to have an unsinkable perspective. Because, like I just said, I can't predict what you're going to go through this year. You can't either. But whatever happens, we need to remember, God has given His children an unsinkable perspective. That's your outlook, right? That no matter what is going on, no matter what happens, the Christian has an unsinkable perspective. And... And Christians ought to lead in this department of life. You know, we must lead in this. Why? Because it all comes back down to one reason. God. (laughs) That's the reason. Okay? There it is. God's the reason. Now, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to look at some verses, kind of jumping here and there, but... um, I want to start with John chapter 1. This past month in December, it was um, a blessing to my heart to to look through John chapter 1 and to consider the Christmas story in John chapter 1, if you will. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But look at John 1, verse 12 and 13. Okay? John 1 verse 12 but as many as received him to them he gave the right that's a powerful word there he gave the authority he gave the right to become what children of god right even to those who believe in his name or to those who believe in his name it's more direct without the word even even is is uh, put in there uh, for for smooth reading or whatever, but it's it's really accurately stated 
he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Everything about him is, is what's meant there in his name. We talked about that. But then the sentence goes on, verse 13, who are not born, or who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, there's the distinctive of, here's, here's what people say is religion. And religion comes in under that last phrase, <laughs> by the will of the flesh, or, or by the will of man. There's religion saying that we'll, we'll show you, we'll do it in our own power. But God says you become a child of God by what? By His will. It's from His doing. Okay? See it there in verse 13? But of God. That's where a person truly is saved. God does the work. Okay? And if you're, you're, if you're here thinking that, well, I came to Christ, well, that's good, that's the... That's fine, but you have to understand it goes deeper than that to, to where it hits verse 13, that God was the one that did the work to save you. Okay? It was by His Spirit that He awakened you to new life in Christ. And you need to thank Him for that continually. You need to go back to that point and say, God, thank you for waking me up and for giving me new life. Okay? So, there's, there's a reason behind it. God. God saved you. God did the work. When we think of saving someone, um, someone's drowning, and you, you, you stop and think of that picture, and it's somebody's hand that reaches out and pulls them up out of the water. The lifeguard saved the drowning victim. Okay? That's what happened to you at Calvary. God reached out and pulled you up out of a certain judgment, of a certain hell. And if you're not saved, you need to be saved. You need to trust Christ. You need to repent of sin. You need to acknowledge that you need Him. That's why you're born, is to give glory to God. But Romans 3 says, for all have, what, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? Some basic things here. But this is where it starts. For me to have an unsinkable perspective, it starts with God and understanding that. Now, with that thought in mind, look to 1 John. 1 John, towards the back of your Bible. 1 John and as you're turning there to chapter 3, let me remind you, in John chapter 1, it, the reading goes on to say, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten, full of, remember that? Full of grace and truth. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, for by His fullness, or out of His fullness, meaning His deity, we have all received grace upon grace. And that ought to just put us into wonderland because it's amazing that he has given us the of of his grace grace after grace grace constant and that's the picture christian that we've got to hold on to we've talked about that already but here now in first john chapter three same author 
now he's older and he's writing this first john chapter 3 says verse 1 see how great uh, love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of god and such we are yeah we got to really emphasize that because that's what he's doing he's emphasizing it see how great a love the and such we are And all too often, this does not amaze us. Why? Why doesn't it amaze us? Because we're too locked in to the things of the world. We're too focused on the things of the world. And we read this and we hear the pastor say it, and it's like, yeah, okay. But Christian, it ought to mean a a world of amazement because he loves us. When you and I were what? guilty of rebelling against him and turning away from him so it's amazing that he you know behold what manner the king james right behold what manner of love the father has given to us so here's our you know this is all building on this idea of of an unsinkable perspective i know that we have many teachers here or people that are working in education and such And a lot of folks, you work with children. Maybe it's your own grandchildren, whatever. You you can spot a child who knows that they are loved. You can spot them, can't you? Versus the ones who you would say, wow, they sure need some love because they're, they're all cranky. They're all this. They're all upset. They're, you know, just really hanging their head and all that. But you can spot the ones who are really loved. Huh? Yeah? And so take that thought to the Christian. The Christian, again, ought to be the one who shines above all else, you know, you know, other than Christ himself in this area of the fact that you're loved by God. It's owning, you know, this idea owning an unsinkable perspective is the privilege of every child of God. And it's all due to his strength and power and his understanding that he's the sovereign king. When you understand that more and more, when, when, the, when the accident happens in life, when the, when the trouble happens in life, when the unexpected happens in life, you can stop and say what? Okay, I don't know what's going on, but praise be to God because he's in control and I'm his child and he loves me. And is he going to let anything come upon me that he's unaware of? Ha! He's sovereign. So that stuff doesn't happen, right? Doesn't happen. He knows. I don't understand it, and you don't understand it all, but he knows. And as long as you and I can respond more and more with this idea that, you know what? He's a sovereign king. And if God is God, then he's all strength. He's all power. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent, right? And that's the way I need to be responding and thus demonstrating. Here's this, you know, it's an unsinkable perspective. You know, it's a, it's a day that we'll never forget. You know, June, Thursday, June 4th. And, you know, the response to... The doctor saying to us, "This, I'm sorry to say, this is a tumor. And it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> no. 
it's not a tumor in our youngest daughter's leg. You're just, you know, come on, not really. Ha, ha, ha. And you have those dates too. You know of them. You relate to that. And how are you going to respond? So if you, if you don't respond to the idea that he is all-powerful, that he is the sovereign, think of the examples in the Old Testament. Abraham. Think of Moses. Right? Think of Job. Think of Joseph. All these people. And Daniel. All of them. They experienced stuff that was out of the ordinary. And how did they respond? Did they respond with a pity party? Daniel, you know, Chris Ward did a, a, a wonderful job of wrapping up his message about Daniel uh, in, uh, right before Christmas time. And what a brave, courageous man Daniel was. Can you imagine Daniel just stopping and, oh, and kind of having a pity party? And American Christians... All too often, we're having the pity party when stuff happens to us. Rather than turning it into a praise party, right? We need to have a praise party, even though, yes, there's struggle and, and hurt and pain. Eventually, I will need to turn and say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I will praise Him as long as I live. So, do you attribute this truth to God? Do you attribute this truth to God in your life? Do you attribute His sovereignty in your life? Do you do that? Most of you, I, I know most of you pretty well, I think. And I think most of you are doing that. And then on top of that, do you saturate your mind with the truth? With these truths? Because if you don't saturate your mind with these truths of who God is, then when the trial comes and the heartache comes and the pain hits you, you're going to have a hard time to, to struggle in, in struggling to, to you know, turn around and say, I'm going I'm to praise Him. Because you don't have your mind saturated with those truths, what are you going to go for? Why is this happening to me? And then it turns into a pity party. The more that you will, you know, take this on and say, I have been given an unsinkable perspective because of what the Word of God has for me and the Spirit of God who is in me as a believer. So, if you respond to those truths and say, I want to I practice this, I can tell you what your 2010 is going to be like a little bit more. It'll be one of maturing and growing. Okay? So, yeah, let's, let's do our best to, to make it uh, a praise party, if you will. Okay? So ask God for His transforming touch on your perspective. If your perspective has been down in the dumps then you need to say, okay, Lord, I need help with this. I need to come above the, the smog of the world and the smog of my own life, and I need to rise above and see just the glorious view above that smog. So then as you go through uh, the next month and the next, this new year now, how will you look at your problems? How will you look at problems when they come up? 
will you see it? Will you see the problems through your own limited vision? Because that's what all of us have, have is limited vision. Unless we're looking to the Word and to God. Because with Him, He sees far beyond it. And we can take on that perspective that God gives us. God help us in doing that. How will you look at other people this year? Are they more problems in your life? You know, the majority of your life is all about relationships. And we hear people talk about their problems and what is their problem really about? A bad relationship. And so it's important that you learn from the Word of God the truths about what a godly relationship is like in your marriage, husbands and wives, right? That you base it on the Word. And if you're single... Same thing. Base it on the Word of God. Say, Lord, I want to be wise in how I deal with other people. Help me to do that. I want to be like Christ unto other people. That's pretty basic for the Christian life. Or do you look at people as, as more rungs on the ladder for your success story? And you're just climbing on them. You know, you can't do that. Jesus came as a servant okay and he came to ransom his life for you amazing okay so um your your and my perspective needs to be grounded in the word of god so rise up you at colossians chapter 3 if you take a notes colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 uh, if you've then been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. And that's dealing with all of our all of our life, relationships especially. Okay? All right, moving on. Second one, second distinctive. Our unfailing power source. Our unfailing power source. Um, we have plenty of tough times that we face, as I mentioned, the challenges, the tragedies, the burdens, the heartaches. Facing them and doing battle with them for some is like it's a constant issue. It feels like you're just, how, when can I come up for breath? And it, so it calls for supernatural strength. And, you know, um, I think of our, our firefighters in town. Um, our firefighters you know, put their lives on the, on the line when they respond. They don't know what they're going to be dealing with. But if they go and they uh, deal with a big fire, they don't pull out their little pump uh, water guns to fight the fire because that's not good enough. It's not sufficient. And so it is with you, Christian, in dealing with the, the trials, the, the difficulties, all the heartaches and all. You've got to go to a supernatural source, and that's God's grace. Remember? Out of His fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Right? And all that does is point us on more and more to the person of Jesus Christ. I guess it ends up, for many of you, it, you know, you might think, well, Swenson's sounding like a broken record. Good. Because... It's not about, let's, let's figure something new here, okay? Let's figure something really uh, new and intriguing. Um, no. 
we need to keep going back to Jesus Christ. He's the risen one. He's God. And you and I need to bow before him and say, Oh Lord, how great you are. And I want to track in your footsteps. Okay? So, maybe you felt like that firefighter this past year fighting fires with a little squirt gun. (laughs) Well, remember, the study of grace in the New Testament especially. Grace is there in the Old Testament, I believe. But it's, it's right out in the open in the New Testament. Okay? God has provided every Christian with his power source that's unfailing. You can never dry out or empty out God's power source of grace. Let's look at... Um, well, just mark these down again. Um, John chapter 1, verse 16, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, how in the world do you access this amazing, unfailing power source? How do you access that? Number one, become his child. That's the first thing. You've got to come to Christ by faith. You're, you're dependent upon him, not yourself, not others, not the, not the pope, not the priest, not the pastor, not the prophet. You're dependent on Christ for your life. And you're growing to know him more and more, right? So you've got to become his, his child. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that the Lord Jesus, okay, We call Him Lord. That's what it means to confess Him. Do you confess Him as Lord? If not, then you need to be saved. Then, so, how do I access the the unfailing power source of grace in your life? Become His child, number one. Number two, very simply, live like His child. Fully dependent on Him. That's what faith is all about. And then secondly, uh, a matter of humility in your life. Humble heart. James chapter 4 Verse 6 through 8, it's the Christian's life characteristic. If you're saying you're a Christian, then one of the key things that ought to shine forth in your life is humility. That's what Christ showed us. Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Okay? And that then ought to be our aim. Your aim today, walk in humility. Because James chapter 4 says, God gives grace to the humble. You want grace? You want his unfailing power source? Keep humbling yourself before God. Okay. Um, let me take you to another passage here that I want you to turn to. Um, if you're in John or 1 John, turn to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You see how grace and peace is multiplied is through what? As you learn and grow in knowledge, there's, there's one of the avenues. And then verse 3, seeing that, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. 
pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Again, if we were to, you know, pick this apart, what we would be left with is, here's the person of Jesus Christ standing strong. It's God's provided everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. But what's, what's the problem? Where's the gap? How come there's a gap? Because I feel like there's a gap. I read this and I go, whoa. Well, it comes back to you, Christian. You humbling yourself and continuing in. Here's growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus through the things of the Word. The more you're in the Word and taking it and putting it into action, the more you're going to realize the truth of this, of this passage, that He has provided everything. He's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How's that? It's through Jesus. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to or accounted to your credit, your, your account sheet. His righteousness been accounted right there to the believer. And he's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect Savior. He's the perfect Lord. Okay? So, that brings us to our last point. Point number three. Okay, we've got our unsinkable perspective. We've got an unfailing power source. And here's third. It comes back to you and I. Our untapped potential. Our untapped potential. Okay? For the new year, if you want to ask God for change, which I hope you do, that you'll ask God to bring about change in your life for His help, for His strength, then you start with you. You say, I want God's help, then you have to examine and evaluate the things that you're doing, the habits that are going on in your life. And say, okay, God, I need to change this with your strength, with your help. Now, parents, think of this. Aren't you the ones, parents, aren't you the ones who believe in your child? You know what I mean? You believe in your child that they can do it, that they can learn, that they can grow. You look uh, next to you or down the, down the pew to your child and you, th- you think, you know what, I believe that they can. That's, whatever, that's what makes a parent a parent. <laughs> they have that belief in their child that the child's going to do the best they can. You're helping them. You're trying to teach them and grow them in that way. They can overcome They can learn. They can do it, right? (laughs) And what is God doing with his children? How does God respond to his children? You know, and by the way, remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love bears all things. What's the next one? Love believes all things. Now, that doesn't mean that, that love will believe anything that's taught in error about Jesus. No. It's talking about in, in the realm of this business of relationships, 
you're, you, like the mom and dads, you, you believe in your child. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things and endures all things. As that is to be our aim with our children. It's God's way with His children. Okay? Remember, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. And as we respond to His Word and ask for His help in activating it in our lives, there's a potential that God's looking for. That's what He's looking for. And it's through growing in the things of God what I said before saturating our minds with the word so it all comes down to that one solitary life Jesus Christ all boils down to him what the Bible says about him if if we are not amazed then how do we get more and more amazed with it we've got to turn from the the all that glitters in the world we got to turn from that and turn and focus our sights and our attention on the person of Jesus Christ and ask God to just amaze us with the truth of His Word. You must decide, is this really true? Maybe you've already decided that. I think, I think most of you have. Some of you, that you're here, uh, here today, maybe you're still a skeptic. You've got to decide, is this true? about Jesus. Is he really God? Did he rise up from the grave? The Bible says it is, and countless lives that have been changed attest to this and validate this as true. They validate the the word of God. So Christian, your concern is this continual exercise then of submission and service. That's what I... What I see is rising to the surface now is this idea, you know, our potential. I think for everyone, we'd have to say, yeah, I'm in that category of untapped potential when it comes to living for Christ and serving Him. As I submit to His way and not twist it so it's my way with words that are spiritual kind of describing it, I've got to say, no, am I really submitting to Him? Am I really surrendering to Him? You have to examine that and be honest about it. You know, the two, two things that kind of pop up here that could be a, another number of messages in this regard is re, your relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, the other comforter, the one that Christ... Uh, left this world and said, I will give, I will send you another comforter. And so when a person becomes a Christian, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is within you, dwells in your life. And that relationship is is neglected a lot. We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in your life. But many times we just simply neglect or ignore his work. And really we, we quench the work of the Spirit by our attitudes, by our actions. And so the more we respond in submission to, again, I've got to go, what does that mean? I've got to go by the Word of God. 
to understand what that means in humbling myself, not trying to be this or that because the world expects that, but being the person, the man or woman that God has called me to be, faithful to Him, loving Him, trusting Him, obeying Him. That's what the Spirit of God is looking for in your life. Then contrary to the the relationship of you and the Holy Spirit is, here's the old nature that pops up that wants to take control in your life. The old nature. Spitting out some, you know, just taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, it's sad to hear that. But that happens a whole lot. Hearing people take the Lord's name in vain. Just a, a, a reaction. Or, or swearing. You know, it's, it's not like that's the worst sin in the world. But it's indicative of what's in the heart. What's in the heart? Covetousness. There's another one. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. Where it's like, oh, I, I want that. I don't need it, but I want it. And it, it's like, you know, how how often do I cross the line where I I covet something? Lusting. Okay, I let the old nature build, and and here comes lust, subtly, sneakily, sneaky, sneakily. <laughs> It sneaks. All sorts of things that stop, start popping up on the surface. Why? Because your old nature is not submission in insubmission, <laughs> submission to the Spirit of God. I'm sorry, I get a little tongue-tied. Okay. Turn to this final verse, and then we'll shift gears into our communion time. Romans eight. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, he's talking to Christians, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And here's the description, what he's he's saying here. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Period. That's it. That's the result of your living by the flesh and for the flesh. You're going to die. You must die. But... If you, by the Spirit, are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. That's an ongoing issue. That's today. That's tonight. That's tomorrow. Are you putting to death the deeds of the flesh? And if you are, look at this. For all who are being led, verse 14... For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, heirs also. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. There you go. And, you know, we haven't done a lot of deep digging into verses or words here today. But it's just coming forth to say, here are three distinctives for your life. 
And this is what will make a God-honoring year. I'm not going to tell you what to fill in the blank for the, the title of the message. You do it. 2010 or 2010. A year of... A year of... And you figure it out. I'll tell you what I think. I call it... I want, it, I want it to be a year of shining. A year of shining. Whatever happens, I just want to keep shining. And here's the combination in it. At the top of your outline, there's two passages. One's our memory verse, and one's Numbers chapter 6, 22 through 27. And that's the blessing that God gave to the priests to give to the people of Israel. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you stress. No. And give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. Or smile upon you. You know what God's doing to His children? He's shining upon them. And when it's like back to candlelight service, when the little candlelight's on, your face shines, your face lights up. God wants to shine upon His people, but are you wanting to shine for Him? Huh? But if you're not in the Word of God, if you're not saturating your minds, how in the world can you shine for Him? You don't know what He says. Be in the Word. Learn. Grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Right. Well, we come now to this time to have our, to partake of